Why snow? Come on, you're all great algorithms now. It's why white snow? And pure. It's white and pure, so why is it false? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no's? Is that what you said? Yes. Oh, snows, as we say on the internet. Um, think about it for a second. Seriously, why, why would the false floramel be made of snow if snow would seem at first to stand for, <clears throat> stand for purity? Not only purity, but coldness. You said white and pure, but I think maybe you should say cold and pure, um, which would be a version of what? A floor, okay, good. Um, That's quite so cool. When, when, uh, you mean of the real floor, no? Right, right, also the real one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so you the could say a parody. Cold chastity. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cold like chastity. Um, that is that there's a kind of chastity, this is what we saw at the very beginning, a kind of chastity um, which is intemperate, and that's why chastity defeats temperance. And intemperate chastity is the issue, you could say, that Britomart is dealing with. Um, so the false floramel is a sign of that intemperate chastity. What's the other version of intemperate chastity that, um, that's the opposite of cold, and which is the answer to question number five, um, that you get in book three of the Fairy Queen? Yeah. Fire. Fire. So, um, there's a wall of fire that prevents Scudamore from, um, entering the House of Buserain to, um, uh, save Amaret, um, and that somehow seems to have something to do with the idea of chastity, or does it? What do people think? Why is Scudamore prevented from, just allegorize me an allegory, um, as they say in 50s film noir. Allegorize me an allegory here. <laughs> Why? Why is Scudamore not able to enter the House of Buserain? Buserain says, this is my house. Show some respect. <laughs> Don't you wish that um, Rick Reardon would do a Spencer parody? Um, why? Lack of pure intention. Okay, so Scudamore has a lack of pure intention. Yeah. What does he intend? <clears throat> he wants his lady. He wants his lady? Is he not entitled? Yes. Because? They were married. Because they're married. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet, even so, um, he can't enter the House of Buserain because the Enchanted Fire. Who is Buserain? Allegorically, what would you, how would you understand Buserain? It's not easy, Canto 12, and we're actually going to go look at Canto 6 in a minute. It's not easy, Canto 12 of book three. I mean, it's easy plot-wise, and pretty great plot-wise, um, it, but it's maybe a little bit hard to figure out what, how to imagine meanings for Canto 12. Um, Britomart has to defeat Buserain, just as Red Cross has to defeat um, the dragon, and just as um, Guyon has to destroy the Bower of Bliss. Um, Britomart has to defeat Buserain, and yet it's supposed to be Scudamore who's defeating Buserain. Scudamore fails. So Britomart has to take over from Scudamore. Um, a little bit, suddenly she's a little bit in the position of King Arthur. 
Remember how Arthur is the one who helps the previous knights, but now Arthur isn't doing the helping, it's Britomart who's doing the helping. Um, and now we can say, if you ask about what's going on in Canto 12, the first thing you might ask is, who is it for? Remember, that's always the question in allegory. Who is it for? I want to, um, actually, I meant to bring in this news article. Now I can't remember his name. But did people see, um, I'll just bring it in, the, the uh, basketball player who died uh, a couple of days ago. He was a great street basketball player, sort of very famous street basketball player. He was six foot ten and weighed 500 pounds, and he died at 38 of hypertension. Um, I'll bring in the New York Times article about him. Um, he was known, what was he known? He was known by the name of some SUV, um, which is why I bring it up. It was a very interesting obituary. At any rate, um, if you think about Canto 12, the first thing to ask is, who's it for? Canto 12. Who is the House of Buserain for? Remember, that's the first question we ask about allegory. Um, who is it for? Who is pride for? Pride is for Red Cross. Who is mammon for? Mammon is for Guyon. Who is despair for? Despair is for Red Cross. Um, who is duessa for? Duessa is for Red Cross. Um, all these things, at least early on when you're understanding allegory, there, there are characters in themselves and characters for those characters who are in themselves, characters that are there to represent some externalized part of what's going on within them. So who is the House of Buserain for? All right, let's ask an easier question. Who is the Garden of Adonis for? So remember, Bredemart is feeding her wound by the seaside when Marinelle shows up. Um, and the idea of a wound which you feed because you enjoy its, um, its bleeding, let's, um, to put it that way. Um, that's a, remember, Britomart is injured by who? By Gardante, by looking. That is, she's looked in the magic looking glass in the mirror, and so looking has wounded her. And then that gets allegorized so that Gardante is clearly for Britomart. Um, here's a character for Britomart representing what's happened to Britomart to begin with, which is that looking but only looking is as far as her chastity has been challenged. Um, and it's been challenged in a way that really is a challenge to chastity because it's a wound. Um, and as a wound, um, you get... The, you get um, the first step towards um, some sort of physical um, encroachment upon her body and a physical encroachment that she enjoys. So she feeds her wound, which is to say that um, she's enjoying the experience of desire that she's also feeling as um, some kind of break within her chastity. Um, and yet it's not so bad um, it's enjoying the experience of temptation, of um, sexual fantasy, you could say, rather than sexual actuality. So the question is, is sexual fantasy unchaste or not? Um, if Bredemart is unchaste, then chastity is fanatical. Um, but because she desires, she's interested in the guy she's eventually going to marry and whom she's supposed to marry. Um, so she's feeding her wound. There's something that's not quite what she believed was chastity about it, but it's a pleasure 
in something that is also slightly guilt-inducing. So we could say, I mean, it's a very familiar experience, pleasure in just a little bit of pain, pain which is reduced to pleasure, um, pain which is not felt as pain um, because it's sufficiently muted that it's actually enjoyed. Um, and that's what she's enjoying. So she feeds her wound, um, and that wound comes from looking. <laughs> Julian? Uh, I just wanted to go back to fire for a second. Yeah. Um, would, um... Fire good. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking about, uh, I was connecting the, the fire um, um, that Scott wanted to go through with uh, the fire in, in Malbeco's uh, castle where uh, where Eleanor and, and Paradel, they essentially use fire to get away. Uh, so fire to them is the key to their lust. Yeah, um, yeah. So I kind of, in my mind, I thought, well, maybe it's the same, not the same fire, but the same use of fire as, uh, as well, key into... Yeah, so fire, in some obvious way, has to do with lust, um, right? I mean, there's that. That's clearly so, and that's very different from from Flor false Florimel's um, snow snowy purity. Um, the false Florimel is cold. Fire has to do with lust, and yet somehow, lust. And again, the question is, who's it for? Um, if fire is lust that fire is preventing Scudamore from entering the house of Bucerine, or that fire is what is um, preventing Amaret from leaving the house of Bucerine, or that fire is um, set up, which it obviously is plot-wise, by Bucerine um, in order to imprison Amaret in his own lust. You know, there are various ways that you could put this, you know, kind of abs in, in, with abstract metaphors so that um, Busrain imprisons Amaret with his lust. And that makes perfect sense as an explanation of the fire. What it doesn't make sense of is why should Scudamore have so much difficulty with it? Um, why should Amaret be surrounded by fire? So if you say the fire is for Busrain, it's very easy to answer. Um, it's Busrain's lust. But then you, then you have to ask the question, but who is Busrain for? Um, because Busrain is just there um, in Canto 12. Um, and um, what does Busrain do? He produces masks. He produces allegories um, and makes Amaret be part of that allegory. So Busrain is a, is a weird um, uh, parallel to Archimago as a figure who is producing the same kind of thing that Spencer is. But we can still ask more even than about Archimago, because Busserain's not going to come back. We can ask, who's Busserain for? It's his lust. But, so he's lusty. But who is, who is he representing? Since he's clearly not a character on his own. He's clearly not a character who has, you know, he's much more on the despair and pride and Orgoglio side of things than he is even on the Archimago and Duessa side of things, characters who actually do have reality within them, who are real people in one way or another. Busserain just isn't. Um, as in the House of Pride, where you get the pageant of the Seven Deadly Sins, in the House of Busserain, you get the Mask of Cupid. Um, and that's a pageant also. And that is for someone. So again, the question is, of the three possibilities, and it's, gonna, it's probably going to be um, one or more of them, the three possibilities, who are the three possibilities that it's for? The House of Busserain. 
Britomart, who actually observes the whole thing, and she even reads instructions about how to um, to understand what she's seeing. Do you remember what she sees written um, everywhere? Be bold. Be bold. But not too bold. But not too bold. <laughs> like drink me. Yes, exactly, like drink me. I think Carol's thinking of that. Um, be bold, be bold, and everywhere be bold, but then be not too not bold. Too bold. Um, what would that have to do with chastity? Be bold, be bold, be not too bold. How does that fit in with, with the idea of chastity? seems to fit in better with temperance. <laughs> yeah, but remember but the issue... is temperate. Yeah. Because her chastity is in life form else that it's like solid, consistent chastity. Like she's like she's a little more fluid with it in the fact that like she is wounded by Gargante and then she does like plan to get married and be unchaste within the like confines of marriage. Okay, good. So that be bold, be bold, be not too bold means something like um you could ask, what, would it, what does it mean for Britomart to be too bold? Was she too bold with Guyon? Or is it Helenor who's too bold? Um, <laughs> and in a sense, the very first thing that happens in book three is that chastity defeats temperance, and that might be a version of being too bold. Um, if temperance is the middle way, which is what book two has suggested, the middle book of the first volume of The Fairy Queen, the standalone first volume, um, if temperance is the middle way, then temperance, in a way, is what Britomart, Guyon is for Britomart at the beginning of book three. And what he is going, what Britomart's defeat of Guyon means is that she has to learn temperance within chastity. Temperance within chastity for Spencer means marriage. Um, and Spencer is the great poet of marriage in English literature. One of his great poems, which we're not looking at, um, but which is frequently taught in survey courses is a poem, Epithalamian, which is the great poem he wrote for um, his wife when they got married. Um, he also wrote a series of sonnets called, anyone know? Do you know? Amoretti. The Amoretti. Um, so um, Amoretti <coughs> means little cupids, and of course Amoret is a female, would be almost a female version of one of those sonnets. Um, the Amoretti, and that, those sonnets are probably the single, man, one of the two most important sources for Shakespeare sonnets, um, along with Sidney's Astrophel and Stella. Sidney and Spencer were very close friends, um, and Spencer wrote a great elegy uh, for Sidney when he died as well, if you know who Sidney is. If you don't, that's, you will one day, I hope. Um, Sir Philip Sidney. Even, uh, even uh, Philip Marlowe refers to him in... Uh, uh, the Big Sleep. So there you go. Film Noir, Spencer, Sydney, it's all the same. Um, okay, so temp chas temperate, ch temperate chastity equals marriage. That's what, to put it very simply, what um, book three is about, um, is that intemperate chastity is Marinelle refusing to see a woman even though the only marriage in the Fairy Queen is going to be between Marinelle and Florimel. But Marinelle has been warned, avoid women, and so he's a male version of chastity. And what happens to him? He's wounded by a woman. Um, 
and just as Britomart is wounded by Gardante, there's a sense in which Britomart is for Marinelle. And what Britomart is, is for Marinelle is the idea that you have to allow yourself to be wounded by a woman, and you shouldn't um, resist intemperately, as Britomart has resisted Guyon, um, because marriage is the goal and the aim. Um, and marriage, as you will see in Spencer, gets, um, will actually get figured as the convergence of rivers, that what marriage is is when two rivers meet, um, in this case the Thames and the Medway. Um, and that's what you'll see in book four of the Fairy Queen at the end of book four. Um, and the idea that these things flow together, that these two separate things become one thing that keeps flowing, that's the opposite of the icy or snowy chastity, which is the fanatical chastity of the false Florimel, um, a parody of the almost fanatical chastity of the real Florimel, who is also a version of the almost fanatical chastity of Britomart. So now back to the House of Buserine. So the House of Buserine is in some obvious way for Britomart, and what she would then see in the Mask of Cupid and in the Mask of Amaret would be something that she herself has to defeat within herself. What that is, we'll return to, but that would be something that she would have to see within herself. Um, we can even say further, what it is would be um, her own situation. That is, in Amaret, she would see externalized the very way that she's feeling, which is enslaved by love, wounded by it, feeling powerless and unable to control her fate. Heart torn out and transfixed. Caught, torn out and transfixed. Um, her heart taken out of her, externalized, um, and unable to do anything about it. And all of this presented to her as a mask, as something she's supposed to be watching. Again, one of the weird things about the Mask of Cupid is that um, there's no audience, except there is an audience, namely Britomart. So it's not that, so Buserine is saying, here, let's do this mask. And there's no audience. It's like a private theatrical without an audience. Um, allegorically, though, there is an audience, namely Britomart, though Buserine doesn't know that. So who is the mask for that Buserain is doing? Well, somehow it's for Amaret herself, because his, it's his way of trying to get her to um, succumb to his rape. Um, and But figuratively, it's Britomart looking, because everything that happens to and for Britomart happens as looking. That's being wounded by Gardante. Um, there are these signs, be bold, be bold, be not too bold. She often, often overread, but little saw what sense was pictured. Um, and all of these things are somehow for her, although Buserine doesn't know they're for her. Um, but if they're for Amaret, it's because Amaret is um, a kind of version of Britomart. Um, that is a character who has her own true love, Scudamore. Um, and yet, is unable to get to him or he's unable to get to her. Um, so Amaret is a real character in The Fairy Queen. In fact, Amaret is the Una of book three. 
Amoret is supposed to be protected by the knight of book three, who is supposed to be Scudamore. Um, both Scudamore, Scudamore fails, and Amoret isn't the Una, and Br- doesn't doesn't end up like Una. And Brynamart is the hero of book three, but nevertheless, officially, if you say it's a knight and a lady, as in book one, the knight is Scudamore, and the lady is Amoret. Um, so. In some sense, the House of Busserain has to be for Amoret. And if the House of Busserain is for Amoret, um, it might be for her kind of in the same way that it's for Britomart. That is, they are both within the House of Busserain, and they are both wounded by love, and they are both also um, intent on some version of chastity. Um, who's brought Amaret up? Venus. And who's brought Belphoebe up? Diana. Um, why, why are the twins brought up by those two women? Do you remember the plot? Julian? Venus was in the forest looking for Cupid. Uh-huh. Diana comes to help her, and they both find Yeah. Chris Agun. Chris Agun. Uh, yeah, and they, they find her. Uh, she had shaken birth to twins. Uh, and how did she get pregnant? By the rays of the sun. Uh-huh, through, through light. Um, it's like seeing. That is, she's touched by a ray. And the, the theory of seeing then, at least, probably people, I think people knew for sure this wasn't true, but it was still the folk <coughs> theory of seeing, is that it's a ray that comes out of the eye. You know, like in like in cartoons, where da, 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 da. Mm. Um, so that the sun, um, she is made, she is also impregnated by looking, um, by the sun um, looking upon her, um, and she gives birth unconsciously. She's impregnated unconsciously, and she gives birth unconsciously. And um, Venus and um, Diana, go on, Doug, you pick it up. Oh, um, well, so they find. Right. So Belphoebe, um, Diana, Belphoebe is raised by Diana, um, the chaste goddess of the hunt, and Amoret is raised by Venus, the goddess of love. So you would think one of those twins would come out as very chaste, as Belphoebe does, um, although she nurses Timius's wound, another wound there, um, and Timius falls in love with her, and, um, and uh, Amoret is raised by Venus, so... Um, she's the one who's going to get married. Belphoebe is a portrait we know of Queen Elizabeth, um, as he says in the proem to book three. Um, but Amrit is going to get married. She's raised by love, so she does get married. Um, the cru- why is it allegorically, at least, or why is it fitting to the allegory of book three that Diana, uh, that Venus meets Diana when she's looking for Cupid? Why does she go and, and, and look among Diana's um, followers for Cupid? What's her theory? It actually pisses Diana off. That he's yeah. following a nymph? Sorry? That he's following a nymph? Well, not only that he's following, that, yeah, which is a danger to them because they're all supposed to be chased. Oh, that he's looking for sport by making Diana's nymphs fall in love by shooting at them. By shooting at them with his arrows. So they're out hunting with arrows. But here's another hunter, another god, another divinity with arrows, namely Cupid. 
and he might actually be disguised as one of the nymphs. He might be cross-dressing um, or cross-undressing, um, being a god and being able to change his shape as one of the nymphs, being a boyish god. And um, Venus says he looks beautiful, so he could possibly get away with it. Yeah, he could get away with it. Um, you wouldn't know. Um, so Cupid might be disguised as female, just as Britomart is disguised as male. Um, but again, the point is that the goddess of chastity goes hunting with arrows, and the god of love also goes hunting with arrows. Um, and so there are different kinds of wounding, but there's wounding. And why is hunting so important in book three? Hunting and wounding? Anyone but Vina? Tapestry in Canto 1, Garden in Canto 6, Adonis. Adonis. You hunt, you get wounded, out of your wound flows fertility as a river. So marriage is the flowing of two rivers together, fertility is the flowing of a river, um, the marriage is the flowing of two rivers together is fertility within marriage. Um, again, you'll see the flowing of the two rivers together, as I say in book four. Um, it's um, also, there's a whole lot of flowing and of um, water imagery in book three of the Fairy Queen. That's why Marinelle um, at sea, Marinelle under the sea, um, is, is so major um, an idea in book three. Um, okay, and that's why Floramel at sea also is a major idea. Yeah, I noticed even the the language of sort of this piercing or the darts a lot more prevalently prevalently in book three as yeah. well. It just seems that everyone's being wounded, or if they're not being wounded, it's described as being wounded. You know, their love and their pierced heart, or this or that, has been darted yeah. by love. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Also, the conception of. Um, Amaret and Delphibe. It's a sort of a, a, a bipartite a division of the the way in which that birth came about. Because impregnated by the rays of the sun, by sight, by the eye, one is chased because the mother had no part in it, and one becomes the the, the nursling of the goddess of love, who impregnates by sight, and so does her son. Right. To impregnate desire in the heart. I mean, I just explained that very badly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. That is that if the sun can make you pregnant, um, there are two lessons from that, or there are two, there are two possible outcomes from that. One is virgin birth, um, which, is, which is, remember we said that Queen Elizabeth, the cult of Elizabeth, Elizabeth's virginity um, is a replacement of the Catholic cult of the Virgin Mary. Um, so the very idea that Belphoebe, um, it's the immaculate conception of Belphoebe. Um, which is the son um, who will do as a god in mythology, in mythological contexts. Um, the son makes um, Chrysogon pregnant, and she gives birth to Belphoebe, um, who is thereby conceived immaculately. Um, and um, therefore, you could say Belphoebe, you get the Immaculate Conception of Belphoebe, which is like the Immaculate Conception. Do people know what the Immaculate Conception is, what the doctrine of Immaculate Conception is? It's not only that Jesus was born of a virgin, but that Mary was born of a virgin. That Jesus' mother um, was also 
not the product of original sin, but was born of a virgin. Um, so Belphoebe then would be born of a virgin mother. Um, on the other hand, you could read this quite in quite the reverse way, which is... Pay attention to the other twin. Pay attention to the other twin and notice that everything is sexual so that even if sunlight hits you, that's the moral equivalent of being unchaste, of having sex, um, just being naked in front of the sun, um, that, that's, that's already going to get you pregnant. Never you a have, good idea. Yeah, it's never a good idea. <laughs> you have to be really, really careful because it's just unbelievably easy to get pregnant. <laughs> Um, but when uh, Spencer says... No one counts as a virgin, in other words. Yes. When Spencer tells Elizabeth to look at Belle Phoebe, it's, it's, it's so blatantly obvious that Belle Phoebe's image is also amorette. So yes. why can't he... Right. And in the proem to book four, he says, well, maybe this will engender love in your heart. Yeah. So. Well, he also says, look at Belle Phoebe in, as in a mirror, mm -hmm. um, which is what Britomart does. So the idea of looking in a mirror is really important. To add one other thing, this is a place um, where the spelling really matters. Um, we hear very briefly but seriously about Arabian myrrh, uh, the story about, of myrrh, um, which is a story from Ovid. Um, and the story of myrrh is, do people know? Um, her name was Myra. This is where myrrh on the, in the myrrh tree comes from. What's the story? Um, we talked about it last lesson. Mira uh, desired her father, Cinerus, and um, without his knowledge, um, slept with him. He just thought it was somebody else. And uh, he was going to kill her, so she ran and ran and ran really fast and then got turned into a, the tree that produces resinous myrrh. Right. And the uh, mother of Adonis. The mother of Adonis. Who she bore while still as a tree. Yes. Cena came to open the trunk. Right. So um, there the important thing is that Mira and Myrrh and the birth of Adonis are all put together as some sort of version of um, falling in love incestuously or with your own image or with someone very like your image and then being wounded, being turned into a tree, but being turned into a tree that is wounded, hence always weeping gum, which is what Myrrh trees do. And that's the story Ovid is telling is how the myrrh tree comes to weep gum, um, which is when it is trying to escape, she is trying to escape the revenge of her father um, on the fact that she slept with him. Um, and then she gives birth to Adonis. Um, so this is where Adonis comes from. You can put together the Adonis story out of its allusions and out of the footnotes to book three of the Fairy Queen. So if you read the footnotes and you don't know the story about Adonis, if you read the footnotes and figure out what happened when, you can get Adonis's whole life cycle out of uh, Book Three of the Fairy Queen. Um, but again, there's this sense of too much chastity is like only being interested in yourself rather than in someone else, only gazing at a mirror but gazing in a mirror is not actually chastity, it's incest. That's what the suggestion would be. That it's incest that is so incestuous that it's autoeroticism. That is, that you take yourself as the object of your desire 
This is often called narcissism, which is the mirror-gazing um, sin. I can't imagine why he never brought up narcissism at all. Um, I think he didn't need to. I mean, I think if you bring up Narcissus, you don't get the incest part, mm. whereas what he wants is the incest part, and he wants the wounding part. Narcissus is, isn't wounded. Um, he he um, withers away, but not through being wounded. But maybe wounded through sight? Yeah, but he's... You, yeah, he could have done it, I think, but, um, um, but I think the whole point is that there's always anotherness, even in the mirror, which there isn't. Adonis recognizes his own image and says, alas, I'm only in love with myself. Um, and there's nothing I can do about that. I can't pull myself away. Um, whereas the wound is what enables Britomart to pull herself away. Um, the wound means there's something outside of her. Not to be wounded is to think that is is like to, is to be like Narcissus and think nothing outside of you matters, or is for nothing outside of you to matter. That's the thing about Narcissus. Nothing outside of him matters, and it's only himself that destroys himself. Um, but nothing outside him can destroy himself. That's what um, Tiresias said about him, that he will be fine as long as he doesn't come to know himself. Um, he is his only enemy. Um, but wounding in um, Book 3 of the Fairy Queen is an okay thing. So, okay, so Amaret now, um, also the product of a virgin birth, um, is in the House of Buse Reign. And Scudamore is supposed to be saving her, but can't. The shield of love, which is what Scudamore means, the shield of love, um, can't save her. Um, so Britomart has to do it. Um, now, let's just... Well, on Wednesday, we're going to look at the Garden of Adonis, because we really have to. It's, the, it's really the central, central moment of the Fairy Queen. Um, but let's just talk um, for five minutes. So we have, yeah. Um, about the House of Buserain, and let's talk about it um, from the point of view of the official story of Book Three of the Fairy Queen, which is Amaret and Scudamore. Um, and the official story is they're married, <coughs> or supposed to be married, and what happens? How does Buserain get Amaret? It's at the wedding feast. It wasn't sneaked yeah. in. And yeah. the mask, he, he brought in the mask, and, you know, like, people had to take part in them, and it's quite easy to say, why don't you just pretend to be this and then spirit someone away? Uh-huh. Okay. So why? Why does that happen at the wedding feast? Allegorize me that. Here's Amrit. Is she a virgin? Yes. Yeah. And what's about to happen? Consummation. Before Consummation. the wedding. It said. Yes. Before the bride was bedded. Before the bride was bedded. Um, so, again, imagine that this is... It's always helpful with Spencerian allegory. Probably with any allegory, but, um, but always helpful with Spencerian allegory. To see as, its wildness as interpretable the way dreams are. Um, and the thing about the interpretation of dreams, as you all know is that the interpretations are a little bit obvious if you think about them. That is, if you have a really wild dream and there's something on your mind, um, it's pretty clear the next day how this wild dream relates to what's on your mind. Does everyone agree with that? Um, it's like if there's nothing on your mind and you have a really wild dream or if there's anything particular on your mind, you may have no idea how to interpret it or whether interpretation of it matters at all. 
But if there is something on your mind, um, you know, you have to take a quiz on the Fairy Queen book three, and you have a wild dream about climbing some mountain called K3, um, in which there are um, snowy figures who come to life and dance around you, and then a volcano opens up at your feet, it would be clear that you were worrying about your quiz, right? Um, nothing in the dream would tell you that, but if, if you were really worried about it and that's what you dreamt, you would have no trouble making the connection. And the wildness of the dream, in a way, is a sign that there's a connection. Does this make sense, or is this just... Some of you are not nodding. You can shake your heads instead of just not nod. Doug, does this make sense? Yeah. It does make sense. Okay. Um, so take this as that kind of wild dream. She's about to, let's say it's the night before her marriage. So she dreams about getting married and then suddenly being wrapped away by a guileful, grim enchanter who wants to have sex with her instead of allowing her to have sex with the man that she's about to marry. What would that dream be about? And the man is kept away by a ring of fire. Losing her virginity? Yeah, and what about losing her virginity? How does she feel about it? She's afraid, anxious. Yeah, it would be, it would be a very clear anxiety dream about losing her virginity. That what marriage means is in a few hours you'll lose your virginity. What marriage means is now you have to um, face up to this. This big, big, big thing that you have heard about and been told about for so long and that you've been so careful about and now you have to face up to it. So if it's Amoret's dream Let's just say that it's Amaret's dream. Um, what is Bucerain? Then we'll say Bucerain is for Amaret. And let's take that for a little bit seriously. Um, what does Bucerain do for her? Why does she want to dream of Bucerain? What does Bucerain enable? her to do in her dream. She maintains her chastity. Yeah, Bucerain is the way she maintains her chastity. But in a perfectly honorable way. In a perfectly honorable way. So there's a sense in which if you ask who is Bucerain, there are two answers to that. What are the two answers? For Amaret, who's Bucerain? Okay, safety. And what's the other answer? The opposite answer. Danger. What? Danger. Danger. So give, give danger a name. Who? What character is Bucerain? Who is Bucerain really? When she dreams about Bucerain, who is she really dreaming about? Scudamore. Scudamore. So Bucerain is Scudamore, but a Scudamore she can say no to, and that's what makes him safety as well as danger. Um, Bucerain, in a way, is Britomart. If you started book four, what's the first thing Amrit's afraid of? Britomart. <laughs> Britomart. Yeah, because Amrit doesn't know that Britomart is female. And um, then when she discovers it, there's a little pajama party. Yeah. Resemblance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but notice that that's how book three began also with Malacasta. 
Um, so what you could say is she produces bucerane as a way to say sex of any sort is something that she is going to not have. And bucerane, by being evil, is also safety for her because there's no requirement for her, there's no moral requirement for her to have sex with someone evil. So bucerane is her evil version of Scudamore. Um, so from Amrit's point of view, bucerane is the false Scudamore or the evil Scudamore, um, or Scudamore turning out to be evil, which means she can say no, or at least is under no moral pressure to say yes. So the house of bucerane from, from Amrit's point of view, if it's Amrit's dream, and what it is, it's a shared dream um, that means different things to different people, or maybe the same thing to different people. From Amrit's point of view, the house of Bucerain is her chastity. And it's her obsessive chastity, so obsessive, that as with all fanatical chastity, chastity is sexualized. And it loses its real purpose or meaning. Yeah. If, it's, if chastity is sexualized, it loses its real purpose or meaning. All right. Um, more Wednesday. Is it turned off? Do you want it turned off? Yes.